last week, we spent the bulk of our time talking about Mary. Mary and her love for the word of God. That she knew the word and then when tested and when tried and when asked upon to do things, the word of God that had been sowed and stowed in her heart began to then not just stay stowed and sowed, but it began to glowed. Okay, that's fake, but it makes sense. It rhymes. It began to come out of her. And it began to change who she was, and she was able to walk 100 miles and go to Elizabeth and Zachariah's house. This little girl, 14-year-old girl, with the word of God tucked away into her heart, and then an angel saying, this is the further word of God. Here's what God's going to do. And instead of stuttering and stammering and rejecting and resisting, she said, okay, I got a few questions. I don't know how this is going to happen, but here am I. Send me. Remember that? Your maidservant, behold, I'm not sure how this is going to go down, but I'm in for the ride. And I'll tell you what, that's Christianity 101. There is a God, and I'm not him. Let's do this. Okay, he's got it. He can't. No, no, I can't. He can. I think I'll let him. It's the one, two, three dance of Christianity. I, I can't come to that conclusion today, would you? so free but he can oh go there quick and i think i'll let him and she did that because she had stowed the word of god in her heart and i'll tell you what the bible the bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion but the wicked what people flee when no one even pursues them okay i'll quote it again since you never heard that one Proverbs 18, Proverbs 18. I got it written down here. Make sure I'm giving you the right reference here. I think it's Proverbs 18. Now, the righteous are as, it was Proverbs 28.1, actually. The righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no one pursues them. Man, what, what wisdom is there in that? And when you're righteous, why? Because you know God is good and he saved you and loved you and taken your sin and give you his righteousness. Like Mermer, you can do crazy stuff. You can walk 100 miles, you can go sing and worship, and when you stow the word, and when you grow the word, and glow the word, and all that stuff happens, two things, we studied this last week, this is all review, you become a worshiper, and you don't become a worrier. Okay, that's the goal, super practical, put the word in, put it in, chew on that word, next thing you know, you'll be worshiping, and you won't be worrying. That's actually a good litmus test for your day-to-day -day grind. Are you worshiping? Well, no, not really. Okay, well, maybe there's an atrophy of the word. Maybe there's any, are you worrying? Oh, yeah, I'm super good. I don't want to worry together. I'll meet you at two. It's going to be, you know, we'll, we'll do it together. Man, no, no, the wicked flee when no one pursues them because there's no righteousness. There's no word embedded in their hearts. The word of God, and I've been encouraging you all to read Psalm 119. You don't need to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you and who's been reading it or not reading. Can I just say this about Psalm 119, though? It will always bless you. It will never disappoint you, okay? It'll just feed you. It'll minister to you. It'll get you right back on track. You get an out of adjustment in your day. Maybe get a little funky. Something happens. Just go to the word. The word of God. Here's, here's verse 2 of, of Psalm 119. It says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. Blessed, happy, joyful, full, purposeful in their steps. Who? The ones that seek him with their whole heart. That's what we all want is to be blessed and to seek God with our whole hearts. The next verse, oh, this one should be dear to some of us. It says, they also do no iniquity, they that walk in his ways. What? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you struggle with sin a little bit? Actually, do raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Trick question. Listen, we all do. We all do. Your sin's different than my sin, but we all sin. Struggle. It's a fight. 
The Bible says that they who delight in your word, those who walk in your ways, they shall do no iniquity. I love verse 9. I'm just sharing a few of my faves, okay, top faves. Verse 9 says, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed to the word of God? Notice how the psalmist doesn't say, how can an old lady cleanse her way? That's fine. He could say that to you. Or how can a middle-aged dude? Or how, He goes to the worst candidate of all, young men. Okay, the worst of all. And he says, how can a, an old lady, well, that'll work, but how can, a, how can a, a young man cleanse his way by taking heed to the word of God? I've been a young man before. I can say that. It's okay. You can't say that, but I can say that. <sighs> There's so many verses in here, so much truth. I love verse 130. And I actually rely upon this every day, every time I teach. Here's what it says. It says, the entrance of your words gives light, and it gives understanding to the simple. His word makes you and I have light. Even though we're simple-minded, just normal people, we don't have a lot figured out. But when his word comes in, the Bible declares in the exact same text that you and I become wiser than counselors, wiser than our teachers, wiser than the ancients. Those who were simple-minded become very sophisticated in their thinking. How? Due to this book. This book. And Mary did that. And I hope you've been reading Psalm 119 because of what the word did in her life for her and what it will also do in your life for you. Number, the number one, number two thing, again, you'll be a worshiper and you won't be a warrior. Now as we continue, we're going to look at Zacharias and his response to the word of God. Now you know previously, please listen, previously he had heard the word of God from the angel and he rejected and resisted it. It would be like if you read Psalm 119 and said, well, I don't know about that. I don't know, and you had, you know, I don't know, and you put it down and decided to read something else, you know, whatever, and you just pushed it away. Zacharias did that, and his lips were muted, his tongue was tied, his ears were deafened, everything went haywire. Have you seen this happen in your own life? Have you seen this happen in people's lives that say no to God? And when you say no to God, the Bible says you just put yourself in the, the, the candidacy, you put yourself as a fool. The fool says in his heart, no, God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool rejects what God says, and man, the humble, like Mermer, says, okay, okay, I, I, I believe you. I got some questions. Like, I'm going to be honest, you know. I'm not sure how this is going to go down. Go with me. And those honest questions, God will meet you. So previously, Zacharias, who we're going to study today, he had heard but not believed. Now, I've asked you guys to read Psalm 119. I've asked you to read the Gospels, the Epistles, uh, the, the wisdom, uh, portions of Scripture, Here's the deal, though. Once you've read his word, how you respond and what you do and what you say should be altered at what you've received. Christianity is really awesome, but it's not just a check-in and check-out. It is when you tune into the Lord, say, hey, God, what's going on? Where am I at? He says, I'm glad you asked. Glad you asked. But by grace, you've been saved, not of works. I'm so glad you're here. But, but I'm going to show you something, and it's going to require a change. It's going to require a, an adjustment. It's going, to require a, it's going to require some action steps. Or you could be like Zacharias and say, well, I don't know about that. I'm pretty old. Pretty old. Have you seen my wife? She's even older. It's crazy. And God's like, really? Really? Or you could be like Mary, whose words and direction were given to Mary. She's okay. Okay. I got a couple questions, just one or two. I'm not sure how this is going to happen. I don't, I'm young. I don't know a man. I'm not married. <laughs> I'm, I'm Mary, not married. You got the right person? You know, and, and the angel assured her. Oh, what did he assure her? 
verse 37 of Luke chapter 1. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Remember I taught you this weeks ago. It doesn't say nothing will be impossible. It says no spoken word of God will be impossible. No rhema, no spoken word of God. What God has given to us is going to happen. So what you read will determine how you act unless you read it wrong, unless you receive it wrong. You'll become a worshiper. You won't become a warrior. Uh, our friend Zacharias, though, he disbelieved until our story today, until our story right now. And I would pray for that spirit of belief to be yours today. Maybe you have a spirit of unbelief. And I, you know, I don't want to go to hell for sure, but I'm not quite positive this is all accurate. I'm not quite sure this is all legit. And may the Lord then eradicate that spirit of unbelief and loose your tongue and straighten your steps and use your life like he did in Zacharias after his disciplinary period. Remember he had his tongue tied and his ears deafened? Was that because God was mad at him? Oh, Zacharias, you're the worst, you know. Was that, is that God's heart? There is a story in the book of Acts where the apostle Paul, he's now Paul, he's not Saul, he's not a murderer, now he's a missionary, and he is ministering, and there is a man, Simon the sorcerer, I believe it is, and this guy comes at Paul and all the rest, and he's trying to discombobulate them, and Paul looks at him and says, you whitewashed tomb son of the devil, be blind, and cast him into blindness, and when you first read that, you're like, whoa, Paul's crazy. Was Paul mad at this guy? Did he want this guy to be punished and disciplined because he was such a rebel rouser? Or, if you back it up historically, remember how Paul got saved? It was through a season of blindness himself. God blinded him for three days, and it allowed Paul to cry out in his thin spot, allowed God to say, Paul to say, hey, 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 please, please, please. And so when Paul commanded this other rebel rouser to become blinded, it wasn't because he was bitter and mad. It's because that's what worked for Paul. That got me saved, bro. When I hit the ground hard, when I was muted and ears deafened and life out of control, when I was minimized and dis... And here's the deal. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, I instructed our life groups to read this last week, Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about the discipline from God to us. And it says no one likes to be disciplined, not at all. But through discipline, through God's plan... His plan is to get us to yield the fruit of righteousness, to walk in obedience near and dear to him. And I don't know which one of you are getting disciplined right now. Right? Stand up. No, don't stand up. <laughs> but you know, somebody's in here, man, is this, I just feel like, feel like God's trying to get my attention. And, I, and, and maybe you're here and you haven't done anything that you're aware of wrong and, and the devil's using that against you. Be careful of that. Or maybe you're here though and you know, yeah, 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 it's me. And the Lord say, cool, so glad you're here. I'm, I'm getting a hold of you, and I'm doing something in your heart, like I was doing to Zacharias. Because <sighs> here's the deal. If you listen to the word and obey, you'll be like Mary, you'll worship, and you won't worry. But you'll also be like Zacharias in this story we're studying today. You'll be spirit-filled. Everyone say spirit-filled. Spirit okay, now I'm going to ask you... Uh, a series of questions, actually only two, before I teach this portion of scripture. I got a, a lot to teach today, so you guys got to stop talking uh, while I talk. Um, kidding, I'm kidding. I got a lot of stuff. I don't know how this is going to happen. Okay, let's go. So, I'm going to ask two questions, and there's going to be three different groups of people in here that answer the questions to yourself. The first group is going to have no problem answering it, and you're going to be excited. Yeah! Fired up. That's the first group. 
The second group is going to also answer the question with a little bit of uncertainty and question. Like, I think so, but I've got questions. Well, the first group is going to be excited about the question. The second group is going to say, I think so, but I've got questions. The third group is going to wish they skipped church because of the questions. Okay, like, <laughs> oh my goodness, I think I left my car on, you know. I'll be back. Okay, here's the questions. Ready? Three groups. Okay, first question is, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay, like I said, there's one group. Yeah, got it. Next question. Easy. The other group's like, well, yeah, I mean, I think so. I got a few questions. And the other group's saying, where is he going with this? Here's the next question. It gets even crazier. Okay, put your helmets on. Are you filled with the Spirit? That's the first question. Second question, do you speak in tongues? Now, not the tongues that you're probably thinking, okay? But the tongues we're going to see demonstrated in the text today. That is a tongue, a, a lip, an ear, a will, an emotion, an action surrendered to God, spirit-filled, used as we see in the text today. Now, I can't teach on tongues until I teach on being filled with the Holy Spirit because being filled with the Holy Spirit is consequent to being saved by God. It all goes in order. So let's first begin with talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And to do that, I'll read last week's verse. Look at verse 67. This is kind of where we left off, exactly where we left off, actually. It says, now his father, that's John the baptizer's, Zacharias, now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and then the prayer comes out of his lips. This is, by the way, the first words out of his lips, listen, after his disciplinary period, after nine or ten months of silence. First thing out is not bitterness, but praise. The discipline, the hard time, the stuff he went through made him closer to the Lord, not further away from God. But I need you to notice the main point. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. Wayne Grudem, uh, who authored the book Systematic Theology, he says about being filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, quote, it's an event subsequent to conversion in which the believer experiences a fresh infilling with the Holy Spirit that may result in a variety of consequences, including Greater love for God, that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Greater victory over sin, oh, just a willingness to fight back. Greater power for ministry, man, you ever, spirit-filled ministry, what does that mean? He also says that it's sometimes the receiving of new spiritual gifts, including but not limited to speaking in tongues, and that's a quote from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Now, here's the deal. When you become a Christian, when you say yes to Jesus, you surrender your will in life, and he takes your sin and infills you, you become a Christian. The Holy Spirit regenerates you. You're born again. Now he takes up residence. You get a new heart, a new mind, a new nature, and a new life. That's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon salvation. Okay, And throughout the rest of your journey, this is what it means to be spirit-filled. You are filled, but the Holy Spirit at times refills you, comes upon you in a greater way. This dunamis, this dynamite. It'd be like having a stick of dynamite. If I had a stick of dynamite up here and I was waving it around, would you be a little bit just concerned just by, just in theory, like, that's explosive, you know, and then let's say I took a, a lighter out, I'm like, oh, you know, you'd, church would be over, bye, you know. <laughs> dynamite, dunamis, the Greek word that we have for the Holy Spirit's power is the word dynamite. Now, dynamite, a stick of dynamite is relatively harmless until it is ignited, until it actually does what it was intended to do. And the Holy Spirit is inside of believers, ready to go at any time, and upon demand, and when needed, to repent, filled with the Holy Spirit, to preach, filled with the Holy Spirit, to minister, filled with the Holy Spirit, to worship, to speak, to pray. The Holy Spirit then is ignited within believers, 
and does what the Holy Spirit needs to do during that time. I believe there are, though, sensationalists, not sensationalists, okay, two different camps, the exact opposite camp, really, sensationalists, though, taking the Holy Spirit, filling in tongues and signs and wonders and abused those theologies so much that some people have gone on this pendulum to kind of crazyville, charismania, and swung right over here past the road of biblical reality and then into the road over here, the ditch, we'll call it, where they don't really want to talk about being spirit-filled or tongues and all that stuff. Listen. When you got saved, you got filled with the Holy Spirit, and you will have that opportunity to now say, Lord, I need you right now to take over. I need you to be in my life and to use me right now in this time, in this season, and in this ministry, where they're called refillings. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Acts, throughout the book of Acts, it says, and then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's already told us that Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit a dozen times. And then Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. And there are moments when called upon and the Holy Spirit, and for you and I, this happens daily, daily, when that person cuts you off on Highway 101, and you do not road rage them, because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> when you're online and tempted to look at something you shouldn't look at, and you're able to look away and resist in a temptation, because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's very normal, and more normal than you and I understand, possibly, when we come to church here and worship, filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a question you need to ask yourself, though. How do I become filled with the Holy Spirit? When you're saved, you're, you're filled, okay? How, how do I avail myself, then, to the Holy Spirit in a greater way? What do I need to do? Do I need a, a hands laid on me? That doesn't hurt. Do I need a pastor or a guru or a sage to prophesy over me? That might not hurt either. What do I really need? Here's what you need. You need to understand God's commandment. Ephesians chapter 5. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. What? It's a command. And with God's commandments are also his enablements. God will never ask you to do something that he's not going to also provide for you to do it. So when God says, be filled, you're like, oh, man, all right, I'll come back when I am, you know, and go get filled. No, no, no. No, 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 no. He's saying he wants you to be filled. In other words, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to demand it. You have to avail yourself to it. As a matter of fact, let me use the illustration that Jesus used. He said the Holy Spirit is like the wind that blows. And it goes where it goes, and no one knows where it comes from or where it's going. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, we live in Newport. Does the wind ever stop blowing? <laughs> you know? No. No. It's always Holy Spirit. And so Jesus used that illustration of the wind is the Holy Spirit blowing. Now, if you're on the bay or out to sea, and you're in a sailboat, that's you. You're not the wind. You're just the boat. And you avail yourself with your sail. You raise your sail up. I need the wind. I need the power. You can't make it powerful. You can't create the blowing. You can't generate that. But what you can do and what you ought to do and what you need to do and sometimes what you don't do is to avail yourself to the wind. Raise your sail. Be fill- How do you raise your sail? All of the Christian disciplines, the, the hard ones, the easy ones, the fun ones, reading the Bible, <laughs> sail's going up. Here we go. Sometimes spent in prayer, <laughs> sail's going up. Here we go. Lord, I'm going to worship you just a little bit. Sail's going up. Here we go. You know what? I got a heaviness in my heart. I'm going to ask for prayer. Sail just went up. Watch out, watch out. Sail's going up. You are veiling yourself to the wind of the Holy Spirit. I got this sin I need to repent of. I need to get rid of. Do it. The sail's going up. And what happens is Christians oftentimes take their sails down through laziness, through unrepentant sin, disbelief, bad theology, okay, wayward thinking, all kinds of stuff. You fill in the blank. My sail's down. And then they ask themselves, where's God at? I don't know what's going on. I haven't, I haven't, you know, and they got all these excuses. And I just say, where's your sail at? God's, trust me, 
God is flowing shh, like the wind. I just love the wind. Now I don't love the wind. I didn't say that. <laughs> if we could actually have a windbreak in Newport, like 50 miles high off, I, I, would, I would pay for it. <sighs> so windy here. But I love the mystery of the wind. Have you ever just looked at the wind? You can't. It's not there. It's, the effects of the wind are there. The consequences, the power. But God is so miraculous, and he's like, I'm going to give you guys a, a working illustration so you know how powerful I am and what is really going on. It's God's command, okay? You don't need to go out there and will yourself to be filled, okay? I just got to work harder. Man, I got to generate. got to get a wind machine. God's will. That's such good news. I want you to be spirit-filled. The first question I asked was, are you spirit-filled? A couple of people started nodding, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Other people like, ah, you know, mesh, you know. Another people, here's the deal. You all should be spirit-filled. When we give our lives to the Lord and when we raise our sails up, but when we take our sails down, we ask those questions, what's, what's going on in my life? And God would say to you, hey, I'm right here, right now. Put the sail up. Read your Bible and pray. Be in community with people. Man, this is so fun. I'm not going to let you guys into my life too much, but I, I do I do walk in vulnerability with a lot of people. Okay, Not everybody, but a lot of people. My, my family, my wife, my, my, my staff, and I confess my sins to them. I, I really, I, I, you should do the same with your people, your vulnerable people. There should be at least three people in your life that know so much about you that they could call the FBI right now and you would disappear. <laughs> like, we know, we know, he told us, you know. <laughs> Confession of sin. And, and I'll tell you what, one of the best ways to get that sail back up is to walk in community, real authentic community, okay? And you could, I, I'm burdened. I feel like I'm not going anywhere with the Lord. I feel like I'm not doing anything. And, and that may very well be true at that moment. What's the remedy the remedy is to get that sail raised up so high. Lord, Lord, avail yourself to God. Put the sail back up. Because God wants every Christian to be spirit-filled and filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is available to every Christian, just like the wind blows wherever it wants and does whatever it does. Now, let me just quickly speak on speaking in tongues. Okay, look at verse 64. So you know where I'm getting this from. Back it up a little bit. It says, immediately, let's go look at verse 63, actually. And he asked for a writing tablet. That's Zacharias. And he wrote, because he couldn't talk or hear, saying, his name is John. He just decided to believe what the angel had said. He went on record. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Sail going up. Deal with it. Once he said that, verse 64 comes in. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, praising God. And then in verses 68 through 79 is what he spoke. Now when he spoke, he didn't speak in an angelic language or an unknown or foreign language as most interpret tongues. The gift of tongues. He gets the gift of tongues right here and he uses a very common language, his normal language, to praise God with his mind, intellect, and will, yet under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit. So let me just talk about tongues for a minute. Uh, how many of you guys want to leave right now? You wish you wouldn't have come to church? Like, tongues, okay, we're going to practice this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a lot of Christian truths, as I said, have been abused and uh, misused and misunderstood. Um, let me say this right off the bat. Not everyone speaks in tongues, uh, at least not in the angelic uh, unknown language, okay? That's what the Bible teaches. Not everyone has that gift. Believers, spirit-filled believers, not everyone speaks in tongues. That's what the Bible clearly, plainly declares. There's a verse, Paul says it, but 
all people have a tongue, okay? At least most of you, okay? We all have a tongue, and we are used, or should I say commanded, to use that for God, even if we don't have that heavenly language. And I'm going to oversimplify this teaching on purpose, so for some of you uh, real Bible students and, and theologians, you can uh, pull me out to coffee later, and uh, we'll discuss these things, but I'm going to oversimplify it on purpose. Here's the deal, a couple things. Whenever the gift of tongues is used in the scriptures, whether it's in language that people can understand or cannot understand, it is, always has a primary function always has one purpose, always, tongues. It is to give glory to God and to share and show his praises. That's it. Whether it's in a foreign language that you can't understand, but somebody else will interpret for an unbeliever. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us unbelievers will hear tongues and they'll be witness to, but what they hear is always the same, praises to God. Read the book of Acts. Every time the Holy Spirit fills a man or a woman and they speak, whether audibly in understandable words or inaudible, under-understandable words, it's always the praises and glories of God. It is awesome. So just so you know, the tongue was intended to be anointed by God to speak his praises, his glories, and to be worshipful. That's the main intention of our tongue. Now, let me just tell you my, my story quickly. I don't have that much time to get into it, but in 1999, on January 1st, I was at the Foursquare Church here in Newport. Pastor Warren Willie was just inducted in on the same day, and he mentioned from the pulpit, if anybody uh, wants to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and have hands laid upon them, come find me tonight. So at 3 a.m., it was an all-night service. Those Foursquare guys are crazy. And uh, so I went to this all-night service, and I went there. We were worshiping. I said, Pastor Warren Willie, pray for me. I want the gift of tongues. And he prayed for me and tried to teach me how to speak in tongues and asked me to speak in tongues, just he, I, and another person. I couldn't do it. And he, and he said, you know what? You're nervous. You're embarrassed. And I said, yeah, duh. You know? And he said, that's okay. That's okay. And he, he gave me freedom. He said, when you get home, it's just you and Jesus. Man, you go in your prayer closet and you just go ahead and let the Holy Spirit praise God through you and just trust him. Shut your mind and will down. That is your thinker and surrender and say, by your spirit, I will praise you. And I, I went home and for the next three hours, just worshiped God in a heavenly language. My spirit language was given to me. It was just so great and so grand. When I woke up the next morning and came out, I hadn't gotten much sleep, but I had the eye of the tiger. And I remember Bob Walton was there visiting my family, and I, we were, I was going back to Ashland, and he looked at me like, whoa, bro, you okay? You know, and the Holy Spirit was there, and it was powerful. And not everyone has the same exact experience. Some people are filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues, read the book of Acts. But not all people who are filled with the Holy Spirit speak in foreign tongues. But listen, all are given a tongue to speak. And this is what we see in our story today. So this is not an exhaustive teaching some of you are going to be filled uh, with the Spirit, and you'll speak in tongues in ways that will be very understandable, but more powerful than you understand. As a matter of fact, on Monday night, when Melissa Gifford was up here sharing her testimony, she was speaking in tongues. Okay? Everyone understood it. It was crystal clear. English language, powerful. Yet her body and her mind and her testimony was surrendered. Her sail was up. Lord, use the gift of tongues. And I think there's a big disconnect when people look at their tongues and say, well, tongues are something, prayer language, secret time in my closet. Yeah, you better be. Do it. Do it. If you have that gift, you better exercise that gift. But is there more to your tongue to be spirit-filled? Because the Bible says two warnings about the tongue. One is an encouragement and a warning. One's straight up a warning. First one is in Proverbs chapter 18. It says the power of death and life are in the tongue. This should freak you out just a little bit. Especially nowadays, we're so loose with our posts and our sayings and our cynicisms and our craziness. The Proverbs says there is power of death or life in your tongue. It is anointed to do one of the two. James, Jesus' little brother in James chapter 3 says, Whoa, careful, careful y'all when you speak. Because the tongue itself has been hijacked by hell. 
and it has been taken into out of bounds and is used to set fires and forest fires just with your tongue. Have you done this before? Have you seen this? Now, God has not left us without some restraint. He's given us a white picket fence to keep that tongue, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> just, keep the white, just keep that tongue back there, white picket fence. Don't let that tongue out, you know. Some of you, it's not white, it's yellow. That's okay, you know. That's okay. The tongue, though. The tongue. And as I, I processed this last night. I was like, oh my gosh, am I teaching this stuff tomorrow? Am I teaching this stuff tomorrow? Being spirit-filled and speaking in tongues. This is going to change everything for you. The way you use your tongue with your family, with your coworkers, with the people. There is power in your mouth. Life and death. There's no middle ground. Did you see that? Life and death, and then there's just that don't worry about it. Just whatever, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. Every word will be taken into account. It's very powerful. And maybe your tongue's out of control. Maybe it's just, you just, man, whatever. There's just no restraint. Why not? Because you're an American, and you're not as bad as some. You listen to the shock jocks on the radio, and you're like, well, I'm not like that. But because you're not like that, you're okay with the way you are here. Listen, let the Spirit fill you today. Oh, man, my tongue. How I speak, what I say, what I portray. May the Lord give us the ability to tame our tongue, letting him use us and fill us as we put our, our sails up. You believe what he said, and then God will overwhelm you to use your being for his purpose. So those two things, be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill you. He wants to. So raise your sail and speak in tongues. Use your tongue to declare God's glory and declare God's story of salvation. So that's kind of like the, the warm-up uh, to see what happens in Zechariah's life before we study these verses uh, one by one uh, through. We have enough time. I think we've left ourselves. So look at verse 64 again. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. It says, and then fear came on all those who dwelt around them, and all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. Stop right there and just, I, I rushed through this last week. I want you to put yourself in Zach's shoes. Zach was disciplined because of his spirit of unbelief, and his tongue was muted. And now he gets a baby out of the deal, and they want to name him something else, but he's like, no, I believe what the angel said. I, I actually, am a, I'm a believer now, you know, and he gets his tongue back. But did you notice the timeline here? His wife has a baby. And it's eight days later now. And did you know that in the eight days he's still not talking? Just be honest with me. How many of you guys would be sweating at this point? You're like, oh, no. I thought when the baby cried, I'd cry. But I'm still, and on eight days into it, I would be tripping. Because when is this going to break? He didn't know. He didn't know. And here's the deal. I wonder if that last eight days were the most important of the days in Zach's restoration. And what God was doing, allowing him to get into an even further brokenness, an even further softness. He really needed to stop talking all the way so he could start seeing and then start talking again. I'll tell you what, God is thorough. He's thorough with you. He's thorough with me. He's thorough with Zacharias. And then the next verse that I just read says that fear came on all those around him, that this punishment... None of us like punishment, chastisement. This thing happened in order that everyone would see God's handiwork. I had coffee with a friend of mine on Saturday last. And as I was chatting with him about the battle of sin, and I, I spoke into his life. I said, look, there's a battle right now. And if you win, 
if you stand strong through this, if you get through this on the other side, do you know? I said, maybe you don't. But do you know how many hundreds and thousands of people will see you go through your season of war and then rise up victoriously on the other side after the challenges? I don't think many of you know or realize or even believe that people are watching you, that your life matters. Did you know that when you believe your life doesn't matter, you do stupid stuff? Well, I don't really matter. I can go ahead and click on that. I'm a nobody. You know, I can go ahead and do that. I'll say that. I'm a nobody. Pastor Luke shouldn't say that ever, ever, ever. But I can say it. Really? Did you know that on average, seven random people examine your life and everything you do? They just study you. We call them stalkers. <laughs> they just watch you. You don't know it. They're watching your every move. Even more so family members that know you're believers. They see your SBC sticker or your hoodie. Zacharias went through this. Nine months of silence. Eight days of silence. When asked, what's his name? John. And all of a sudden he began to speak. They're like, whoa, dude. And all throughout the countryside of Judea, this story went down. Your story, don't believe the devil. Your story is important. The color that you bring to the tapestry of God's design is so legit. Don't believe less. Well, he begins his prophecy, and he's not speaking about his own son, John. He just has, he has John. His son's right there, John the baptizer, and he begins to then prophesy all about Jesus. I got to kind of rip through this fast, so look at verse 67. It says, now his father was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, blessed is the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Stop right there, eyes up here, a couple thoughts. He's prophesying about Jesus, not John, because he's kind of piecing this whole thing together. Mare Mare's been with him. Mare Mare, you got something in your belly that the angel said, and I believe all the angels. I believe him. I believe him. You know, I don't disbelieve him. This, this one is the horn of salvation to Israel. John knew less about Jesus than you do, and yet worshiped him freely, believed in him totally. You and I have a lot of information about Jesus. I mean, it is off the charts. We have so much about Jesus, and I hope he is your all and all and all. And I hope you, like Zach, filled with the Holy Spirit, can say, oh, thank God for Jesus, the horn of salvation, my only hope. Did you know that every other and all religions and ways, practices, and people that make up ideas all say, follow me, do what I do to get closer to God? Every other religion besides Christianity, all of them, follow me, do what I do to get closer to God. God says, I'm going to raise up a horn of salvation for you. I'm going to send my son to die for you so we can get closer to you. Christianity is absolutely different. And John saw that. He said, you're, you're doing something to bridge the gap. You're sending a savior. You're raising up a horn. And this is all about Jesus. And it's seen, it's demonstrated in my opinion, in verse 69, where he says it's through the house of the servant David. David, King David, King David. I love God because he demonstrates his grace through crazy ways. King David's a good king, right? We all agree? King David was a crazy person. Man, read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. His life was so wild. I mean, the guy was nuts, but his heart, his heart was broken for Jesus. His heart was broken for God. God said, I'm going I'm to bring my son through your lineage. Did you know that when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, sin, lied about it, murdered her husband, I'm just like, whoa, is this a tabloid? <sighs> this is rated R. Just got rated R. Plug your ears, kids. You know, this is, this is happening. And then that baby dies, consequences of sin. 
Okay, God is not mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. But God's grace flows to the lowest point, and David wept and repented and owned his sin, and his buddy Nathan the prophet said, you're forgiven, bro. There's going to be some consequences. The nations around are going to have reason to, to beguile our God, and the baby's going to die, but God's graces are new. Did you know that the next baby him and Bathsheba had together was Solomon? Solomon? I just see God's grace everywhere, and through Solomon would come more kids and more kids until Jesus shows up. Every other religion says, do more, do better, or you're done. Jesus says, how about I, can I do it all? Because they can't do nothing. You know, you know, look at David, you know, he's the best we got, pretty bad. You know, I mean, I'll go do it all. So free. This is the good news that we are asked to walk in. He says in verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. You know who we're saved from? Our enemies. And the number two enemies, the last two enemies you and I have are sin and death. Okay? That's the biggest enemies we got. It's not Al-Qaeda. It's not the Taliban. It's not the big government. It's not the little government. It's not the radiation in the ocean. It's not the stuff. It's not global warming. Don't you wish global warming was true a little bit? Just a little bit. Like here in Newport. Just five, just five degrees. Just five degrees. Like, bring it. Anyways. Our enemies, what are we saved from? Sin and death. Those are big. You're not going to see those on the ballot next year. We're going to try and eradicate sin. We're just going to do it. You know, no more death. We've got the politicians going to wipe that. No. Jesus went above and beyond all of the ales and pales of this world. He's like, how about I just deal with the, the last two? <laughs> you guys mind if I play clean up here? Sin and death. Oh, Jesus, he does everything for us. This prophecy over the babe who would be born. Look at verse uh, 73. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. This coming from a priest who served God already now prophesies that through Jesus we would all have a place at the table. That every one of us can now serve freely and righteously the king of kings because of the king of kings. There's no hierarchy. There's no demographic margin. If you love Jesus, you're in. Okay, you are a high priest of God. You are one of the chosen and elect, anointed. Do you believe? This is what he's prophesying at the very beginning. He says, now we have purpose in our life. Don't raise your hand. But if you don't have purpose in your life, you've been lied to. You absolutely, and if you feel purposeless or less than purposeful, you've been lied to. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that God has foreordained and prepared good works for all of us to walk in forever. He's already gone ahead of you saying, this is what I want you to do and who I want you to be. He goes on now and switches. Please switch with me. He's been talking about Jesus, this John the, the baptizer's dad, Zacharias, and now he prophesies about his little baby boy, the eight-day-old circumcised Jay the baptizer, verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways or should I say to prepare uh, his people by the remission of their sins? No, I'm getting ahead of myself. Where am I? Verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go therefore before his face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here's the deal. He now looks at his son and says, this is what John the baptizer is going to do. He's going to prepare the way of Jesus for people. 
He's going to prepare the way for people to meet Jesus. And he's given threefold instructions to do so. Can I just say this to you? John prepared everyone to meet Jesus by doing three things. And I believe God has asked the church to now take John's position and do those same three things to prepare everyone to meet Jesus again. Jesus came once successfully, just happened, just like he said. And he said, I'm coming again. Okay, it's going to happen again. Here's the details to look for, and here's your job description until then. Do these things that John did. How am I going to do that, spirit-filled? Speaking in tongues, just like Zacharias, just like John the baptizer. You mean in an unknown language to people? Maybe, maybe. Okay, read it, study it out. But what about the known language? How you type on Facebook, what you say to people, to your kids, how you repent. What about your life? And these three things that he instructs John the baptizer to do are seen in verse 76. He says it this way, and you child shall be called the prophet of the highest for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. How? To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. The first thing we give, first thing John gave, the thing that you need to be about this week is giving information to people about how to get saved. That's what it says right there. That we would give information, that we would declare salvation, that you could be forgiven of your sins. Did you know that that's called the good news? People need, your bosses, your coworkers, your friends, they need to know that they can be saved from their sins. This information, how to be saved. Did you know that what they do with that information is not your problem? I need to set you free from, from some of your bondage. But they won't believe, or they'll think I'm this, or they'll reject, or they'll have questions. <clears throat> not your problem. Did you know that when my mailman comes to my house, he doesn't look at my mail and say, ooh, he's not going to like this. Uh, I'm just going to keep that. That's illegal. He's got to put it in my box. He's like, oh, there's a bill. He's got to know the truth. Oh, here's, this, you know, here's the thing. He's got to give it to me. So too, you as believers, give the information, which is good news, about how Jesus Christ died, paid for your sins, and then gave you his righteousness because that's how good he is. People need to know how to get saved. It's so simple. I've told this story before. Eddie, Eddie Townsend, a good friend of mine, a coach at the Toledo High basketball team now, and he's upstairs teaching my boy right now uh, the gospel in the tabernacle. Eddie Townsend, when he met his friend in eighth grade who came back from Promise Keepers and had his life changed, I gave my life to Jesus, I'm saved, it's been crazy, and Eddie said, well, I want to get saved too. How do I get saved? And his friend looked at him and said, beats me, and walked off. And so Eddie, Eddie Townsend, resourceful Eddie Townsend, said, well, I better figure this out. So he went up and Googled it. How do I get saved? www.com, how do I get saved? Found a website that led him to the Lord to repent of his sin, to proclaim Jesus as a Savior, and then to go tell his family that he, or his friends, tell somebody that you got saved. And so he went downstairs and got in front of the TV in front of his family and said, hey, I just gave my life to Jesus. And I'm like, okay, get out of the way. <laughs> good, good for you. I don't know what that, listen, my point is, he asked his buddy how to get saved. Are you spirit-filled? Is your tongue gifted? Just declare the truth. I dare you this week to oversimplify it. Ask God to just give you somebody to share it with. Say, dude, are you for real? Do you see what's going on? Do you know the good news of Jesus? Like, I know how corny that sounds, but do you know it? Like, it'll change your life. If you just, do you know it? And if God is guiding you and the Spirit is filling you, you'll find yourself walking in a miracle. The second thing that we're to do, not just give information on how to get saved, it's for free, but to shine with illumination. It says, through the tender mercies of God, verse 78, which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness. It's getting better in our world to a degree. There are improvements. You guys realize that, right? Internet speeds are increasing. That's the one good thing I can, that's happening, okay? That's happening. 
But there's a lot of darkness, and it's getting darker and weirder, spiritually darker. There are major improvements happening, but there is major darkness. Our job is to be in the light, to shine the light, to let the light of God's word stand. The world doesn't need your opinions or your ideas. It needs the light, the truth. I had someone on Facebook say, I like your devotion, Luke, but I don't always like your interpretation of the scriptures. And I thought about it. And my hope is, I believe, my hope, my hope is, is that it's not my interpretation of the scriptures. The scriptures interpret the scriptures. The truth is the truth. And, and, and the light shining sometimes in the darkness is rejected by the darkness. But the light, when received, brings further light. And the last thing he says here that we're to do, just like John was to do, is to bring guidance to the feet of those in the, that walk in the way of peace, verse 79. Did you know that walking with God is so peaceful? I need you to hear this, especially if you've experienced it. The Bible says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The peace of God rule. Did you know that that word rule is the same word used to describe an umpire or a referee who watches a game, calls balls and fouls and strikes and whatever? And when you are walking with the Lord in the spirit, man, there's peace until you hear the whistle. Oh, what happened? What happened? They review the play and you stepped out of bounds. And the Holy Spirit whistles on you. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit whistle on you? That's a blessing. And you let the peace of God rule, umpire, tell you what's right and wrong. And as a Christian, as a believer, you don't have to go back and forth all over the place. You get to say, I sense God's will in this. I sense God's peace in this. This is so good. Or you get to say, I'm pretty sure I don't sense God's will. I don't sense his peace. And as a mature, spirit-filled believer, you're like, you know what? I want to do this, I want to buy that, I want to move there, I want to date this person, I want to say that, but I feel like I'm getting whistled, uh. and you back up, and you let, it's a blessing to be spirit-filled, to have your tongue anointed, I'm going to the worship team come up, and to lead us now in a song, as we give our lives to the Lord, I need you to see this last verse though, it says, so the child grew, and became strong in spirit, and was in the desert until the day of his manifestation to the Lord. Next week, I'll get a running starter. Maybe I'll wait for a couple weeks to talk about John the Baptist again. But there are some things that make his life amazing, what he did, who, who he was, how he lived, his parents, all kinds of things that make him amazing. Can I just say that the one thing that sets him, Zacharias, Mary, Elizabeth, all of our stars so far in the study of the book of Luke, we just finished chapter one, only took 11 weeks. Did you know that what makes these guys and gals so great not some of the stuff we'll study next week, but the one thing filled with the Holy Spirit, a sail, a sail going up. Get your sail up. Let the Lord fill you. Read your Bible. Pray. Repent of sin. Repent of false belief. Be in community. Let your tongue be used for glory, not for gory. Father, in Jesus' name, now as we come to the conclusion of this time in your word, I pray, Jesus, a true desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to use our tongues, Lord. To maybe apologize even today to repent of something, to be different. Whatever the case may be, Father, I pray that you would be glorified as we pursue you and desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a humbling act of worship to say yes to you, Lord. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, I want to give my life to God. I might be a believer. I might not be a believer. Whatever the case is, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to raise myself. Just raise your hand up right now. Do it right now. Raise your hand up right now. I want to raise my hand up. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want that to then translate into my tongue. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to speak in tongues. That is, I want to use my tongue for good, for blessing, for life. 
Holy Spirit, I pray this would be so legit. This would be so real. Just download your power upon us even right now. Save those who aren't saved. Redeem those who need redemption. Forgive those who need forgiving. As we come to the table right now, Lord, may we be blessed as we remember that your death, burial, and resurrection is enough for our sins. That, Lord, just like the wind blows, it, it doesn't, it just goes wherever it wants. So too, Lord, you can touch us all. And so we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.